It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Ah, yes, indeed. A brand new year, another day. Welcome to the Wednesday, January 3rd edition, 2018, if you weren't keeping track of Lifeline now in our 200th year or something like that. (laughs) Hope you're doing well. And, uh, hey, we made it halfway through the week, short week uh, anyway, and uh, time to kind of slide back into uh, the routine, I guess. huh? Well, we're going to get into a lot of routine on today's program dealing with issues and topics that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Coming up a little bit later on, culture expert Dr. Alex McFarland is going to join us. We're going to talk about the power of unity in a nation that seems to be so horrifically divided. Can we turn over a new leaf and find the common ground in 2018. We'll get to that conversation a little bit later on in tonight's program. We've got Michael Bennett standing by in the KFAX Traffic Center, so we'll get you home safe and sound as uh, you head off to uh, wherever you're headed on this Wednesday evening. And to uh, lead off the program as we've concluded um, another year, we have a new report out that was released kind of quietly um, over the holiday, the annual report of Planned Parenthood which tells an interesting story, unfortunately not the same story that the uh, press and media that do the bidding of Planned Parenthood typically do, and to kind of pull back the curtain on what's really going on within the organization, to you or me, probably no big surprise, but the rest of the world may be a surprise. We're joined by Dan Gaynor. Jan, of course, is the Vice President for Media Research Center's Business, Culture, and Media Division. Dan, is always great to have you on the program. So... Planned Parenthood has issued their annual report for 2017. I guess no surprise to any of us that they continue to rake in millions and millions of dollars in both taxpayer money and donations for a so-called nonprofit organization. They do as well as U.S. Steel. Yeah, they they had, I mean, I hate to think of these terms, but you have, if you think in their terms, they had a banner year. They brought in one and a half billion dollars i mean uh, there's no there's no other way to look at that is that if you're a company if your existence is to promote your agenda then they brought in one and a half billion dollars i uh, and then of course you know one third of that 540 million dollars comes from taxpayers federal state and local taxpayers around the country that it's appalling and the only good news in this is the number of abortions they did declined just a little bit, about uh, 7,000 over the year. So they went from 328,000 abortions to 321. But here's the stat that they won't tell you. The media will bury, like, the babies that Planned Parenthood helped kill. And that is they killed, they did 83 times more abortions adoption referrals. So when a pregnant woman goes in to a Planned Parenthood location anywhere in America, the odds are they're killing her baby. The number of adoption referrals is small, and yet they represent as, oh, well, this is women's health. We want to give you a chance to choose. It's all about the choice. 
but the choice that they ram home and that we've heard for years from people involved in Planned Parenthood is that the choice that they push is abortion. You know, what's remarkable about all of this, Dan, if this organization were called Abortions Are Us, um, it would certainly be much more reflective of who the organization is and what they exactly do. But both between its name and its press relations, they like to leave you with the impression that they're here providing, quote-unquote, family planning services. They will tell you that they provide prenatal care. They will tell you that they do things like providing examinations for women to reduce incidences of breast cancer, things of this sort, all wonderful, applaudable ideals. And yet the irony is that numbers in this report reveal that that is such a small, paltry aspect of who they really are and what they really do. Yeah, they, they, the PAP tests, are the number is tiny. The breast exams, they don't do mammograms. Remember this, they may represent that they do. Uh, I saw uh, a pro-lifer posting a photo just the other day protesting outside a Planned Parenthood pro- clinic that had a sign that said mammograms but that they don't do them. So, so yeah, that's, that's if uh, our state attorneys and such were, were more militant, then they, maybe they would uh, take down that advertising. But they, the upshot is they always claim that abortions are a little tiny bit of what they do. That, you know, it's this full family planning. They, they give a woman all sorts of options. But then when you really you know, pull back uh, the curtain on what they do, it's an abortion bill. And the reason why we don't hear more about it is because the American media, particularly the news media, but entertainment media too, are overwhelmingly pro-Planned Parenthood. You see journalists getting awards from Planned Parenthood when they do their annual uh, media awards. You see Hollywood producing shows. Uh, it's been just uh, two years now since Scandal produced its Christmas episode where Kerry Washington, the lead, you know, the star of the show, her character was getting an abortion. And they did it. That was their Christmas episode, and they did it to the sound of Silent Night. So a song to celebrate the birth of the Savior instead is turned into a soundtrack for an abortion. That's how pro-abortion Hollywood is. And that it didn't become a big controversy It's how pro abortion the news media are. Why does an organization, in your opinion, that rakes in by their own reports over a billion and a half dollars every year, why does it require um, well over a quarter or a third of that to come from taxpayer dollars when you consider the fact that part and parcel, all they really do are performing abortions. I mean, I know they'd like you to believe that they're involved in prenatal care, which they really aren't. They'd like you to believe that they're helping reduce the rates of breast cancer amongst women in America, but they're really not. I mean, it, it really comes down to the fact that they're in the business of selling abortions, so why do they need taxpayer dollars if they're doing so well? Well, everybody knows that money is fungible. And so if you lose a third of your money, you're not going to be able to keep some clinics open. You're, gonna, you're, you're not going to be able to pay your executives uh, you know, the big six-figure salaries that you pay them. Your, your organization is not going, to be, not going to have the imprimatur of the federal, state, and local government. They're going to have to say, well, actually, we're not taxpayer-funded now. And, and people will go, well, 
you know, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe I'm not going to send my money to you. See, they're afraid that this upward spiral that has built this uh, network of abortion mills nationwide, they're afraid that if they lose a third of their funding, that it begins a downward spiral, that uh, Americans begin to understand what abortion is, how monstrous it is, that, that we're not getting rid of a fetus, that we're killing a child. And uh, one of the things that we've done a real good job, Katie Yoder, who works with me, has done a fantastic job digging into how the media will, will call, uh, you know, Beyonce gets pregnant. They'll mention, oh, she's pregnant, she's with child, because that's a child that they want to be born, because that's somebody famous that they like. But if they don't want, they don't want the baby to be born, if they don't support that baby, they turn it into a fetus. The same broadcasters, they just don't, they'll just flip the terms so, so you don't even notice, oh, well, it's, it's just a fetus. Oh, it's a child. I, it's amazing the disconnect, and they do it. It's a conscious effort by the press. Well, there's no doubt collusion on that. And, and by the way, to help answer my own question, in part in relationship to why they need so much money, when you consider the fact that Cecile Richards, the president of Planned Parenthood, last year made 957 thousand nine hundred and fifty two ah call it a million dollars amongst friends made a million dollars which uh to put that in perspective over the same period of time that the average ceo of a nonprofit saw a 22 percent increase in salary cecile richards saw an increase of 265 percent not bad for running a so-called nonprofit. well and also you know remember that not only is she raking in big bucks, but she's on television everywhere because the media love her. Now, the, this is uh, Planned Parenthood's political action committee is is overwhelmingly supporting liberals. Back, you know, backs liberals, which basically people who often have typically have a D after their name. It's a it's a very it's an organization that works hand in glove with the left. It's an organization that works hand in glove with the media to to push its agenda. I mean, this is it's a left wing shop in every way, shape, and form. And seemingly bulletproof. I mean, when we think back to the fact you and I were on the air together a scant couple of years ago, talking about the revelations of what was going on inside of Planned Parenthood in terms of uh, harvesting and marketing of baby body parts, and we had a preponderance of evidence to demonstrate that exactly that was going on. There were talks about defunding of Planned Parenthood at the congressional level. What happened to all the wind in that sail over the last two years? Well, I mean, what happened is, uh, to some extent, the media, uh, and I, when I say the media, I don't just mean liberal media. Uh, you have to remember that a lot of people, even who supposedly lean right, are pro-abortion. I don't use the term pro-choice. They basically are pro-abortion. You can't have the infrastructure that we have for a free love society where you have TV shows and movies promoting sex at the earliest age possible, where you have movies like Fifty Shades of Grey promoting perversion and women being abused. You can't have that culture without abortion. And the, the media thrive on that culture. So they have to protect the, the you know, abortion, which basically is the get-out-of-jail-free card for them. Oh, well, oh, you live this disgusting life? Oh, but hey, you know, just go right ahead and 
you know, it's not a baby. It's just a choice. And sadly, strategically, much of that work takes place in targeted minority communities across the nation. Um, I don't know that there's any real difference in terms of the interest of having abortions between black Americans, white Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, et cetera, et cetera. But we certainly know that we see a higher rate of that. Some people would say it's poverty. I would argue now it's targeting, that the largest percentile that happens within the minority community is because Planned Parenthood has strategically placed itself and targeted its services toward minorities. Well, I mean, you look at the impact that that's had on minority communities. Uh, African-American communities stay relatively static as far as its percentage in the American population. Uh, I've seen studies where they, they, do, they look at you know, what, what impact it would have been if abortion hadn't happened, if, if, if millions of African-American children had not been aborted then the population would be even larger, and political impact, uh, impact on communities. I talked to a pro-life artist one time, and he was telling me he really believes that many of the things that are ills in our society, cancer, anger, you know, the hate that sometimes we see in our society, that maybe the people who were meant to fix these problems ended up never, never even being born because they were killed in an abortion clinic. Yeah, it's sad, the uh, the swaying of the balance of power, so to speak, uh, because of that very intentional targeting of the minority community by Planned Parenthood. And, you know, at the end of the day, they often will tout themselves as being not pro-abortion. We're simply pro-choice. We wish to protect a woman's constitutional right to choose, which I'm still trying to find chapter and verse in the Constitution that says that. But regardless... If they are really about being so pro, pro-choice, then don't you think it's very telling in their report that reveals, just newly released over the holidays, that for every one adoption referral that Planned Parenthood makes, it fully engages in the termination of 83 children. Wow. Talk about tipping the scales. Dan Gaynor. Vice President for Media Research Center's Business, Culture, and Media Division. As always, Dan, we appreciate the insights and uh, pulling back the curtain on many of these issues that mainstream media, quite frankly, just either looks the other way on or engages as an agenda to um, to do a little bit of propaganda. We used to call it uh, yellow journalism, didn't we? Yes, indeed. All right, there's Dan Gaynor, 520 on the clock. And as we thank Dan for his time, we thank Michael Bennett for being with us this evening to give us a look at the Wednesday ride home for this third day of January. Michael, what's going on out there in the Bay Area roads? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It has been demonstrated here in the last year that the um, state, the Kate Steinle case here in San Francisco that called a lot of attention to the issue of not just illegal immigration, but illegal immigrants committing crimes on U.S. soil and repeat offenders crossing the border, an issue that needed to be dealt with. We thought perhaps it was receiving the right kind of attention with the Kate Steinle case. Obviously, the jury, for whatever reason, did not agree. That said, the issue continues to be one of the national dialogue, and while 
this past uh, year was a good year for Congress to kick the can down the road on the topic of immigration. You wonder how far can they continue to kick that down the road now that we are in 2018 and this November in a midterm election cycle. Joining me is Marie Espinoza. Marie is the National Director of the Remembrance Project, which honors and remembers those that have been killed by illegal aliens on our soil. Marie, welcome to the program. Hello, Craig. Thank you so much for having me on. What was your initial reaction? I mean, I'm sitting here in San Francisco, and we were shocked when the jury returned its verdict. What about you? Oh, um, very disappointed. I, I, I'm saying, I, I could say I'm not really um, shocked um, when I heard that, but, um, you know, it was a, certainly a gross miscarriage of justice. Justice, But, you know, a year and a half prior, uh, I joined in a few other people and a couple groups on Pier 14 and held a press conference uh, and raising awareness about the sanctuary city there. Um, and we attended the first hearing um, in the Steinle case, and that's when I first heard the defense attorney uh, state that this was an accident and that they were going to prove it. And so I kind of knew then that... Um, being liberal as San Francisco and actually all of California is, they were going to do everything they could to try and um, just make this go away. And it, it looks like they did. It, but it's a big warning sign for all of America to under, to take a look at this and see that um, a homicide can take place and the guy can walk if you're an illegal alien. Now, this issue, of course, uh, pertains to the broader question of getting federal action on this topic of immigration. We know that there have been issues in this country probably almost since the last time we tackled the topic with any degree of seriousness during the Reagan administration. I think some would argue that not only do we have a illegal immigration problem, we have a legal immigration problem as it relates to the HB1 visas. And sadly, you find states like California, good, bad, or indifferent, that engage in sanctuary city activities. They don't cooperate with the federal authorities. They don't hold or detain um, individuals that are here in the country illegally, that are wanted for crimes in other areas, other states. I mean, it, it, it's one big mess. And sadly, the one group that holds the power and authority to do something about it has been the one group that steadfastly has refused to do so, and that's the United States Congress. Why? Right. Right. Well, uh, several reasons. Number one, we can write up all the Democrats because you know what they want. They want those votes. And um, uh, then if you look at the Republicans and a lot of those, they get reelected with monies from these uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce and special interest groups. And um, there's industries that um, welcome illegal aliens and you know that w- lower wage earner. So this is what we're, we're looking at here, you know, Craig where the people have been ignored, our vote seems to be, you know, of carry no weight uh, with um, politicians who can be bought off. Well, what I don't understand, um, but, though, and, I, and I've heard that argument before, Marie, mm-hmm. that says that there's a sense of kowtowing or catering to the minority vote or more specifically the illegal immigrant vote. We're talking about 11 million people out of 335 million. Can it be that Congress is allowing itself to be held hostage for such paltry numbers? Is there really that much political gain uh, standing behind all of this if they just simply continue to do nothing and kick the proverbial can down the road? 
Um, I think so, and I think that's what we're looking at right now. Um, you know, otherwise, look, how many Americans have been killed? I mean, thousands of Americans have been killed by people who should not be here in the first place, and they have not lifted one finger about it. Our, our wall of 1986 that was promised to the American people has not been delivered. And look where we are today in a worse situation, Craig. And here we're negotiating our, our, our chip to negotiate with those of open borders and, and the lawlessness is to give more amnesty, encourage more amnesty. It's simply ludicrous, and it can only go down to money and power, Craig. And that's what uh, the corruption that has taken a stronghold of our legislators. Well, and sadly, that's something that's that's not new to the equation. I mean, the problem has been allowed because we failed to address it for year after year after year after year. And then we talk about it, and dependent upon who's doing the talking and which side is in power, uh, we either talk about it and then do nothing, or we do nothing and then talk about it. But at the end of the day, the result is exactly the same, and I think that's what is frustrating a lot of people. I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that we have an issue here that needs to be addressed. Um, I, I do not agree with the president that there's any effective means, nor do I think it's the fair or honorable thing to necessarily do to try to uh, tomorrow deport 11 million people or to suggest that they're going to uh, deport themselves. See, self-deportation doesn't sound to be very practical either. And yet there's broader issues in terms of U.S. immigration policy and the the misbalances and things like lotteries and HB1 visa programs where, you know, we spend a lot of time focusing on the loss of jobs, quote unquote, that go to immigrants coming in from south of our border, and then we welcome people to come here and take high-paying industrial and high-tech jobs from other nations, and we say, oh, no, in that case, we don't have enough technically qualified people here in our own country, so we have to open up HB1 visa programs. It is absolutely madness at every level, and sadly, neither this Congress nor the last one, and I have to wonder if the next one will be willing to do anything about it. Maria Espinoza with the Remembrance Project, information available on the web at therememberanceproject.org. 5.32, we're a little late, let's get caught up on traffic. We'll head back over to the KFAX Traffic Center and Michael Bennett. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There's a proverb loosely translated, many hands make light the work meaning the matter of coming together, working together, a sense of unified goal and purpose can allow us to accomplish great things. I had the opportunity, this is many, many years ago when I was just a knee-high to a pup, um, traveling through the Midwest and happened to get the privilege of watching a barn raising. And if any of you have lived out in the country or are from other parts of uh, the U.S. where that happens um, and you've seen it or participated in it, you know it is an absolute amazing sight to see a plot of land that at 7 o'clock in the morning is completely bare and by 5 o'clock at night almost has a complete barn up on it and to watch these massive walls go up with... Nothing more than a group of men pulling together to make it happen. Wow. Imagine if we applied those same principles of working together and making light the work because we're all kind of pitching in of how we could change the world from a spiritual perspective. 
My next guest has given some thought to what that looks like, very reminiscent of even Jesus' prayer, Father, that they all might be one. Might sound like a clever platitude, but perhaps more significance in that prayer than what most of us realize. Dr. Alex McFarland, religion and culture expert, director of Christian Worldview and Apologetics at the Christian Worldview Center of North Greenville University. He is a best-selling author, and his latest, Stand Strong in Your Faith, joins us now by phone. And Dr. McFarland, always, thank you so much for being with us. Well, Happy New Year, and what an honor. What an honor to be with you. And uh, uh, we've got a lot to talk about, but before we do, let me just say how much I appreciate you and the program and uh, Lifeline and uh, to be on. This is my first radio interview of 2018, actually, so... uh, I'm deeply grateful, my well, friend. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Dr. McVarland, and, uh, and we're, we're glad that we, we drew the, the short stick, as the case may be. <laughs> no, that's great, yeah. and, and always a privilege to have you with us. As we talk about this topic that I think is an important one, you know, 2017, and we had a number of conversations over the course of the last year, 2017, Dr. McFarland, I think we could both agree, seemed to be um, so much about division and disunity and distrust. Um, and, and it started, you know, in almost every arena. We had examples of it in the media, examples of it certainly in the political arena, uh, discussions and debates uh, all across America. And at the end of the day, this nation that typically is known for its sense of unity and strength together, when instead seemed to be nothing more than... Um, in the middle of of chaos and disunity. And so I think this notion of trying to kind of reset the dialogue as we start 2018 and explore this issue of what unity is and why the church not only needs to be a part of it, but needs to lead it is so incredibly important. Exactly. It is vitally important. And, you know, um, Craig, there's a message that I preach sometimes in my travels, and it's uh, some of the uh, most overlooked prayers of the Bible and uh, the most neglected prayers, one of which I think is the prayer for Christian unity. I mean, we really are, as believers, we're called by God to seek the unity of the body of Christ. And so I guess there are two things you and I could talk about. One is unity within the body of Christ. We could also talk about unity within the nation. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, and he was a a great leader at the Constitutional Convention in 1789, but Benjamin Franklin said it would be disastrous if we digress from a unified republic to, quote, dozens of squabbling factions, end of quote. And uh, disunity, fragmentation, and backbiting, and being separated, and being an island apart, uh, it threatens our country, and it certainly does hinder the work of God among the Church. And so I, I, I think God's really put it on my heart, spiritually and nationally, to seek uh, for people to be brought together and for uh, lives to be united and we link arms together for God and country. Does a lot of that, by its very nature, Dr. McFarland, force us to go back to our roots? And I ask that question because certainly at the political level. I think if our founding fathers could be here today and could give feedback on what they see as the state of the Union, they would probably be pretty disappointed 
in what has become of the great American experiment, that we have at some levels not been very good stewards of this perfect republic as was handed to us by the founding fathers in the in the 18th century. That said, there's another layer here, not only where we need to politically go back to our the, our founding father roots and the original intent and, and get an understanding of really what their vision was for this nation. But even within the church, you know, it's one thing to say that, well, we have occasional uh, doctrinal differences and things of this sort. Um, and certainly there are certain types of doctrines that divide and should do so, particularly when we're talking about heretical doctrine that steers away from the foundational truths of Scripture, and maybe therein lies part of the problem. I am appalled over surveys, for example, that we saw at Christmas time of the number of Christians that say that, yes, they identify as a Christian and they attend church and they read the Bible regularly, but no, they don't necessarily believe that Jesus was born of a virgin birth. And I think to myself, mm-hmm. wow, if this kind of heresy has crept into our body politic, and worse yet, this kind of heresy has crept into the body of Christ, no wonder that we as a people, as a church, as a nation are struggling the way we are. Maybe it's time to go back to some of those historical roots, both from the perspective of the founding fathers and in the case of the church, from the perspective of God's word, to be reminded about just what a precious inheritance we've received. Oh, exactly. Well said. I mean, we we are so blessed not only to be born-again Christians, but to be Americans. Craig, you know, moments before I had the privilege of getting on the phone to talk with you this evening, I just got a call from a friend in Jordan, uh, in in Israel, uh, or near Israel, rather. And it, Jordan, which prides itself on tolerance, um, I just, I mean, literally minutes ago, was listening to a phone call about a, a school teacher in Jordan who is a Christian who has been, in the last several weeks, taken in, forced to sign a, a paper that they would not talk to anyone about their Christian faith, uh, has lost their apartment, uh, being threatened with incarceration merely because word got out that they're a Christian. And, you know, here in America, um, I've had Christians and pastors say to me, I've, I've had literally dozens of pastors say, you know, I would never preach against homosexual marriage because some of my parishioners would be offended. Well, yeah, but I bet you've never had to face incarceration or jail time. Uh, I bet you've never been thrown out of your home or your domicile or your apartment. And, you know, i got to say, here in America, we've had, we've really had it easy, not only in terms of the world situation, you know, the the landscape of, of religious persecution in our own times, but really in terms of world history, we American Christians have had a cakewalk. Now, we, we don't have to beat ourselves up and, um, you know, say, you know, oh, you know, we should be ashamed. No, we've been blessed, but with blessing comes responsibility. And I feel like God has given us prosperity and a huge, huge measure, measure of freedom uh, because it's an opportunity. I mean, the freedom and resources are tools God has entrusted to us to invest ourselves in his great commission. And and all of it could be lost more quickly than I think most of us realize. Dr. Alex McFarland with us tonight. We are talking about sort of resetting the tone and tenor 
in the new year. And while we've talked and lamented a lot about the sense of division that seems to be running within our nation over 2017, focusing tonight on one of the key areas in which we as the church need to be united, and that is looking at, well, quite frankly, our role in areas of salt and light, arguably degrees to which we're not doing very well at either in 2017. Hopefully we can turn a corner in 2018. Let's get back to more of the conversation with Dr. Alex McFarland right after we get to a quick update on traffic. 546 on the clock and back over at the KFAX Traffic Center with the latest is Michael Bennett. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We continue our visit with best-selling author and Christian apologist Dr. Alex McFarland, kind of um, setting the tone and tenor for the new year here. And one of the big issues, of course, that I think as we looked at all of the the year in review programs over the last week, um, 2017 seemed to largely be typified by this notion that it represented a tremendous degree of disunity amongst Americans, and I think arguably arguably, perhaps even the church is not as well unified as we should and ought to be. I related the experience, Dr. McFarland, of watching a barn being put up and how that something as massive of that could take place so remarkably, apparently easily, uh, by just getting a lot of people coming together and cooperating together. You had none too dissimilar experience watching a church being rebuilt. Tell us about that story. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, it was very memorable, uh, Craig. I had not been a Christian too long, and uh, we went to help uh, rebuild a church that had been burned out. And it was amazing because we got to uh, a job site. This is, oh, I don't know, 28 years ago. But uh, a, a lot of men, dozens of men from all sorts of denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Assembly of God, and, you know, there were, I guess, probably 75 or 80 men and teenagers on this job site at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and we were cleaning out a burned-out foundation and um, there was, you know, a building supply company that had donated a lot of materials because this church did a lot of benevolent work and, you know, had a closed closet and some things to help the, the needy. And during an ice storm, many winters had done a, a shelter for people without power. Well, by 10 p.m. at night, you know, it was a very long day, but there was a church rebuilt. And, you know, there was just a lot of, a lot of men with hammers and I remember, I thought, wow, this is amazing, the power of people coming together with a unified vision, a selfless heart, you know, everybody was there, and the camaraderie and the, the shared vision, you know, nobody seemed to get tired, and it was like, you know, 15, 16 hours just blew by, and by dark, there was a church and a community the, the hub of a community was restored. Now, let me say that we, we can do this in the church. Jesus in uh, John 17, you know, Christ is on his way to the cross, and he, he prayed, Father, that they all, the believers, that they all would be one. But in, in America, we've got to rally around the, the Constitution and our freedoms. In the church, we've got to rally around 
the banner of Christ and His Word. It's nobody's agenda. It's not my opinion or anybody else's opinion. We have to unify around the Word of God. And, you know, Craig, I, I know that you're well aware of this, because, you know, you're a very astute believer, journalist, broadcaster, but the great revivals in history have always involved kind of a recommitment to the Scripture. And, and I would challenge everyone listening, you know, if you love God and country as we do, make, um, yes, the message of Jesus, salvation through what Christ did on the cross, that's our message, the, the good news, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But the, the Bible has got to be the guidebook for the Church of Jesus Christ. We have to rise above opinion and just, you know, everybody's uh, subjective perspective. No, we've got to get back to the Word of God, not only because it is the, the, the book for the Church, but it is what God has promised to bless. God has promised that His Word would not return void, that's Isaiah 55, and then the Spirit of the Lord is in the Gospel. I mean, God said if, if Christ is, is raised up, he would draw all men to himself. So this is something that we all can agree on and we all should agree on, and that the Lord has promised to bless it. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, this business of being salt in light, whether we're talking about engaging in feeding the poor, planting churches, leading others to Christ, all of it, um, the roadmap for that has to be laid out and provided by and followed through Scripture. And if we start at that point, all of the bickering and all of the differences of opinions will slowly melt away as it becomes ever more apparent, not what our agenda we think ought to be or we want to create, but rather what God wants our agenda to be. Now, that having been said, you've got a seminar coming up at the end of March that I think does a lot toward helping to reestablish the importance of this roadmap, Scripture, and the notion that we need to focus on being truth-tellers and truth-preachers. Tell us a bit about this special set of workshops taking place. Oh, thank you, Craig. Oh, you're so gracious. Well, Truth for a New Generation, many listeners will know that for two decades, Truth for a New Generation has been, you know, what God has called me to do, TNG, and we've, we've done events around the country, but... March 23-24 is the first of a 22-city tour that will take us five years, and we're going to be in North Carolina, my home state. We haven't done an event there in 15 years, but we'll be back uh, on home turf starting where we began 20 years ago. And, Craig, I don't know if your listeners know every one of these names, but this is a powerhouse. Josh McDowell, J. Warner Wallace, great apologist, from Fox News, Todd Storns, Lauren Green, uh, former uh, jihadist Kamal Salim, a great, great bilingual defender of the faith, Juan Valdez, from American Family Association, attorney Abe Hamilton, former DA of New Orleans. It's going to be an amazing seminar. We've got a, an incredible pastor, Joseph Parker, who's um, uh, giving a message on the, uh, the Festival of Life, about the sanctity of human life. People can register. They can go to truthforanewgeneration.com. You know, we routinely, when we do these events, we have people from, you know, 30, 35 states. And, Craig, our theme is Save a Nation. This really is the kickoff of a national tour. It's a summit meeting 
on prayer and on spiritual awakening. It's for all ages, and I just hope many of your listeners will be there. I hope all of your listeners, everyone listening, pray, promote, and if you can, plan to attend. We did an event a couple of years ago. We had a group of buses came all the way from San Francisco to Charlotte, North Carolina. So, hey, uh, fly, drive, do what you got to do. Join us March 23-24 in North Carolina for the first TNG Truth for New Generation of 2018, and let's link arms together to save a nation. Truthforanewgeneration.com. And a great way to set again the the proper tone for a new year. Um, we've, of course, for longtime listeners to this program, <clears throat> know that we've had Jay Walter Wallace on the program and Josh McDowell. My goodness, Josh and I traveled together into what was the new former Soviet Union in 1992 or three, if memory serves me right. wasn't long after the walls came down and uh, the Soviet Union collapsed. And so I've, I've known Josh for many, many years and a frequent guest on this program and a excellent apologist. And so there'll be a lot of great content for you. And so to get more information about this upcoming Truth for a New Generation event, March 23-24. Details available by going to truthforanewgeneration.com. That's truthforanewgeneration.com. And we thank Dr. Alex McFarland for being with us tonight on this edition of Lifeline. Five, five, yes, 559. I wasn't sure I was going to say 659 by mistake there. 559 in a scant couple of seconds. Let's get a look at traffic for you right now. We say good evening once again to Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Hey, Michael.